Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Duke fans, welcome to episode 151. 151 episodes here of the Duke Basketball Podcast, 151, not quite in the books, but going to be in the books in just a little bit. We are recording in a very, very special way. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host, and <laughs> I've been I've been thrown off by something, and you'll know what I've been thrown off by in just half a second. My co-hosts joining me tonight, Sam Klein. Sam, where are you recording from? Standing right next to you. Standing right next to me? Oh, my God. Donald Wine. Donald, are you in Washington tonight? Are you are you are you serious? No. I'm literally standing right next to Sam. Can you not see me? Am I can you see me? I see you now. Give me a give me a moment. We're, we're, we're taking a very we're quick taking, selfie. Uh, and then all right. That is good. All right, now we can continue with it. Okay. So the podcast. So, yes, for the first time in DBR podcast history, Jason, Sam, and Donald are together in the same room. If it sounds a little echoey, a little weird, we've got a very nice mic. Sam, your, your mic is outstanding. Thank you. We're all in Durham because we all attended the Miami game today, and we're going to have a lot to say about that. Before we get to that, as always, start of the podcast, I do want to thank our wonderful, wonderful sponsors, Bird Campbell, your Duke-centric law firm with those offices in Texas and Florida, and GTHC, GTH, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. Now is the best time to go check out their website, gthcgth.com. They got five new items there that you should definitely take a look at before we play Carolina, those bastards next week. But before, I'm sorry, not before, uh, 
we got to get to what matters, which is we all attended the Miami game today. The Blue Devils with a big, big victory. They basically crushed Miami by halftime. Final score was 87 to 57. The halftime score, 47 to 19. Ouch. It felt very, uh, it felt very Duke, Maryland, 2009. Yeah. Uh, out there tonight. So during the game, uh, Sam and I were sitting next to each other. And, and Jason, you were on press row. And literally, it was 47 to 16. And I turned to Sam and go, it'd be great if we could hold them under 20. And right as I said that, Miami hit a three-pointer. <laughs> so I was like, well, this is not going to happen. But it actually did happen, and we went on. We had, to, we had to stop them one more possession. We did, yes. Before the half. And then and then Barrett made the made the layup right at the half. That took to four get... seconds to drop. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. It was a, a, a great game, a lot of fun. Like the guy said, I was on press row, and, God, that was it was just a fabulous experience. I've got a little bit of sound that I'm going to play for all of you from inside the Duke locker room. I went in the locker room after the game. But before we get to any of that – there was something very significant that happened at this game, something we've been waiting for for a long, long time. Jack White hit a three-pointer, guys. Not only did he hit a three-pointer, he, did it he then followed times. it up with two more three-pointers. He was three for three on the night, and you could tell that he didn't want to make a thing out of it because I'm sure that he is tired of his two-month slump. He would just as soon it be over. I'm sure the staff would just as soon it be over. Everyone associated with the program would prefer for this not to be a thing. But Cameron, Cameron exploded tonight when Jack made that. Th- like everyone, everyone got up for it. We were we were jumping up and down. The whole upper bowl was jumping up and down. And then Miami called the timeout or yeah. a play right after that. That it was for the shot clock. I thought, I thought they the were going to give timeout. him the ball. I thought it was one of those. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, <they> it's <laughs> like a Hall of Fame moment. Right. You know, like oh, you broke the record. Here's the ball, Jack. But they, but so they they went to hat or they they went to the timeout. And and the the noise just like swelled in there, and you could see Jack White just being like, "Don't lose it, don't lose it. I don't want to make this a thing." Well, and then he made the two more threes, and at the last one, he sort of cracked a smile and was like, "Okay, this is funny." So the first the, for the first one, like like we said, there was a stoppage play because of a shot clock malfunction. I guess they started the shot clock a little bit early, like that was, uh, and so they had to reset it. They add time back to the clock. But in that time, the Cameron Crazy started chanting, Jack is back. Oh, yeah. Jack is back. Jack is back. And that was when the team started getting excited. But still, Jack was just like, yo, okay, I'm on we playing cool. defense. We cool. Like, 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 guys, come on. The second one, he hit the three. And he, it was just like a normal one. He hit the three, ran back down to court. Everyone goes nuts. But he was just like, yo, all right, defense time. The third one, he hits the shot. And he turns to the bench. And he gives kind of just, a, just enough of a sly grin that he's like, now we can maybe. All right, I know this is now fun. we can talk. Now it's a little fun. I, I gotta tell you. So I had the ultimate angle on the Jack, the first Jack White three pointer, uh, folks. If you go online and you watch the highlight, I want you to look just next to Jack White on press row. There's a guy in dark blue. That's me. And look on press row, you don't react. You're not supposed to show your allegiance to any team. I was wearing Duke blue, which even that is like not done very much. You're not really supposed to do that. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I I couldn't help myself. So uh, Jack White hits his three-pointer. And if you look behind him on press row, I thrust my arms in the air. I am so excited that Jack has broken out of this month and a half, almost two-month-long slump. And then the other funny thing I wanted to tell you guys, at halftime, I'm waiting in line to get some of my free press food. I love my free press food. But you're in the regular line. It's just peanut M&M's. All right. <laughs> I also got a hot dog. Hot dog and M&M's. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Ooh, good job. They, they give us seven bucks in the media 
and and I, I spent all seven of my dollars on a hot dog and peanut MMs. But I'm waiting in line. There are three very well dressed guys in front of me. They did not look like the kind of people who come to Duke games all the time. They look like folks where you could hear the word bucket list spilling out of their mouth. These are people like, hey, we're going to go to Cameron one time. This is going to be awesome. They were so excited. And the three of them are talking and they actually said, hey, they were, but why did the fans get so excited when that one guy hit that three pointer? And I almost turned and said, security, please come escort these people out of the building. You are not allowed to be here if you have no idea that Jack White just hit a three pointer. Wait. So, so I, I saw the clip it, it, like, again. If you go to ESPN, it's very evident. If you're looking for Jason, you will find him. He's the guy at the very bottom, uh, raising both of his fists. Um, and related, that is why DBR has now lost their credential for press <laughs> Not uh, true. We'll never Not be true. allowed back. <laughs> no, that's just a joke. But yeah, it was no. It's that that moment was one. It, it felt like I don't know. It's it's more like it's not necessarily him getting off the slump. That's one part of it. But just the whole like the early part of the season was really a success because of the fact that he was hitting threes and he was that fifth guy in the court. And we were talking, I mean, we had the debate yeah, whether, he about whether he should be a starter because yeah. of how well he was playing. That scene in part where he was able, Hey, if you're not worried about Jack White hitting threes, then really, you know, starting to become more of a complete team when you're not worrying about guys like him and Alex O'Connell playing well, then you don't have to like worry. That's not a question mark that you have to like kind of put on Duke at the end of the season as we approach it. So I think when it comes to Jack White, yeah, getting him off the schneid is really important for this team because if he has confidence, then the rest of the team is going to be jacked up, as you saw, and that's only going to help us. And the only shame here is that Duke decides to pull Joey Baker's red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Coach K said in an interview – uh, earlier this week that he did it specifically for the three-point shooting because he mm-hmm. said no one's making shots I can't rely especially while Zion's out but even if Zion's back we don't have the perimeter shooting to go deep in the tournament and maybe Joey Baker is going to give us that and it sounds like we, we sort of heard from reports afterwards that that Joey Baker had talked to the staff about it they got his family like everyone was on board with the plan yeah he um, knew what was going on everyone knew what was going on but that it happens, and and all of a sudden, Jack White breaks out of his slump. Maybe we don't need Joey Baker to play real minutes. He didn't play real minutes tonight, although tonight wasn't an especially competitive game. So. Although, I'll tell you something. I noticed Joey Baker was off the bench before Jack White was. Yes. It happened that they came in the game at the same time, but Joey was at the scorer's he table was, first. He was, he was the sixth man tonight. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And then like the, when he went to the scorer's table, it took a little while for him to get in the game. By the time it was time for him to get in, Jack White also came in. And I think that's also about confidence. I think all these little moves – are about confidence and it's not necessarily about how Jack White may be playing poorly or when other guys playing poorly or one guy's playing better than the other. It's about, it's about Joey Baker getting the confidence that he needs and that this team needs so that when the tournament comes, if we do call him, he's not a deer in headlights. And if like, if you go back to some of our teams back in the class, for example, 2015, Grayson Allen at the end of the season, people like, why are we playing Grayson Allen? We must be really desperate for help if we're playing Grayson Allen. And look what happened in the tournament. In the final yep. four, he he really was a catalyst off the bench, especially in that title game. I, so you mentioned confidence. I'm so glad you did because one of the things I want you guys to talk about is I feel like there are two guys out there who really showed renewed confidence. Alex O'Connell, mm-hmm. who only finishes with nine points, but he had like nine points in like the first eight or ten minutes. And they, of the, and of they the were half. nine electric points. They, mm-hmm. they were. They were. They were rebound tip-ins. Slam dunks off of fast breaks, off of defensive plays, and and a three pointer where he had his foot on the line. Like I mean, yeah, the, exactly. Like those sort of things are 
yeah, he he yammed on 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 that fast break that we were talking. That about. fast break, he he lifted off from farther away than I realized. He yeah, did. and Everyone. he got up. And we know we actually knew that he was a pretty good leaper. I don't think we had seen it come through that strongly in a game yet. So in the in the warmups today, he I, I I think Sam had just looked down at his phone for just a second, and I looked up just for a second to see him try to do a double windmill and like sprite himself on the rim, and I was like. Alex, what are you doing? He looks up like, what did Alex do? I was like, uh, he just prided himself by trying to do a like double windmill uh, during warmups. And we're like, like, don't get hurt. Like, don't get hurt. Bro. <laughs> like, get, like, no, you're stay in your lane. And then like five minutes later, there's him jumping from 15 feet and dunking the ball. And we're like, oh yeah, you should do that more often. And, and the other guy I wanted to mention in terms of confidence and, and playing, you know, playing his way into a bigger and bigger role, Marquise Bolden. Yes. Uh, double double tonight. Uh, really, you know, some nice moves in the post. That little hook shot he has is working very, very well. How many minutes did he have? Because it didn't seem like he, it seemed like he was very efficient in those minutes. 23 minutes, six of nine from the field, 10 rebounds, two steals, 15 points, and a blocked shot. That's a really nice That's line. A good, that's a good night at the office. Yeah, yeah. I was very, very impressed with He's been uh, – we, we've talked about this the last few weeks about how much he's progressed this year. I think I, I, I made the – Although, although I made he, the, he went down for a little while. Yeah. I mean, he left the starting lineup. He is back in it. I actually kind of like the reference I, I made to you guys earlier, which is that he's sort of playing like a Plumlee now. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. He's, 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 not, he's not the most fluid player, um, but he's very strong on defense, and he has enough post moves that – you at least have to stay honest with him when when you're guarding him. He's able to, especially on shorter guys, he's definitely able to turn them around really quickly, over, especially over his left shoulder. Um, but he can turn guys around pretty quick and get the ball in the basket. So, Jason, you brought up, a, you brought up an interesting question. Uh, you were talking about how Marquise Bolden has been playing well, and he has, and that he should, he should be back in the starting lineup. Do you replace Alex O'Connell at that point? Well, right now, Bolden is starting for Javin Delorier. Right, but when Zion comes when Zion back. returns, I, I, I think O'Connell goes – I think he has to go back to the bench. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think O'Connell has probably – because he's been very good mm-hmm. in these games where he's been filling in for Zion, although like, – <laughs> As much sounds, as he can. It as sounds as insane can, yeah. to say that. <laughs> Look, um, they're both wings, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> One's a wing and one is Zion. <laughs> one is Zion. <laughs> Um, but I was going to say, I, I think Alex O'Connell may be ready to be the sixth man. Um, he, he's probably he's, a, a, he, he's probably ahead of Jack, and uh, I mean certainly ahead of Jack, I think, and he's probably also ahead of Javin. I mean, obviously, it depends on what you need, but I, I, I think it's very possible that Alex O'Connell has played his way into being the sixth man at this point. Yeah, I, I think that I like to key in on the bench shortening and sort of us having a, a really good understanding of what the rotation looks like. I think that this team, the rest of the season, we're not necessarily going to know game to game which guy is going to get relied on, especially from the bench, right? It could be O'Connell getting 25 minutes a night. It could be Javin Delorier if there's a particular sort of defense that we're running where you might see him for 20 minutes. We might need to see Marquise Bolden if we're playing a team that has a big that we need to body up on or if they have guards who are able to get into the lane that Bolden needs to be a little bit more of a shot blocker. Um, all All those bench players kind of bring a slightly different um, element to their game. And so we are going to see, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to retract the statement I made a few weeks ago that this is the lineup. We're going to see a different lineup every night. We're going to see different guys coming off the bench and playing different roles. And uh, another guy that I want to point out, especially when we're talking about some of these rotations, if we have uh, teams that we face in the tournament that are big, Antonio Vrankovic, look, 
he only played four minutes. I know it was garbage time, and you know he didn't do much, but he got a bucket. He got a bucket on his only, and it was very quick. He like very like really nice pass. Twenty seconds into his, into his you know into his minutes, he got a rebound, went down that very next possession, got a got a bucket. Those type of plays and th- that like I mean yes, it's a little thing, and yes, we we see the word confidence come out a lot, but when we're talking about if. Marquise Bolden gets the foul trouble. RJ Barrett, Zion Williamson, when they when he comes back, if they get into foul trouble, we're going to need to rely on guys that we don't know or that we don't see very often. We're going to have to rely on those guys in the tournament because when it gets to the tournament, we're not – yeah, we may be trying to do a six, seven, eight-person lineup, but we're going to need to rely on everybody because one shining moment can come from anybody on this team. And that's, that's like, for example, you remember – uh, Emil Jefferson back in 2015 in the championship game had to play extended minutes to guard Frank Kaminsky because Jolly Logofor was on the bench with foul trouble. Mm-hmm. We don't know if there's going to be a, a game where Bolden or Barrett or whoever makes a couple ticky-tack fouls and all of a sudden has to sit for a while. You might have to be relying on on a Jack White, a Javin Delorier to, to pick up the slack for them because they all have to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to talk about in this Miami game, we, we by, by the nature of being a college basketball fan, we mostly focus on offense. It's not our fault. Trey Jones and the defense. In the preview to this game, I said the key matchup was Chris Likes, who is Miami's best player, the 5'7 fireball, mighty mouse, whatever you want to call him. He is capable of beating teams on his own. He almost beat Carolina at Carolina earlier Ryan this year. Jones, yeah. Great player. And I was so looking forward to the matchup between him and Trey Jones. Wow. Trey Jones ate his dinner. (laughs) Trey Jones ate his dinner, stole his lunch. Uh, uh, Trey Jones did everything you can possibly do to him. I I want, folks, if you haven't looked at it, Chris likes line. I want to be clear. Dude was one for 15 from the field. One for 15 for two assists and four turnovers. We're talking about Miami's best player. The guy that they run everything through. One for 15 with four turnovers and only two assists. Trey Jones destroyed him. So we talked in the preview last week about Miami, about how Miami loves to turn the ball over and loves to make careless decisions with the basketball. (laughs) And we should get out of their way and let them do it. In that first half, Chris Likes was getting the ball stripped from him. And even if it didn't show up in the turnover set, it was like his thing led to something else that led to a turnover. And if you notice very early on, I mean, maybe three or four minutes of the game before the first TV timeout, Johnson was the one bringing the ball up for the majority of the first half because they just needed somebody to get the ball across half court. And they knew Chris Likes was just too small to do it. And it wasn't just Trey Jones who was who was causing havoc out there. Mm -hmm. Cam Reddish was equally uh, disruptive on defense. Mm -hmm. The the Duke press tonight was working about as well as I think we've seen. And, And like you said, Donald it does have a little bit to do with the opponent being somewhat turnover prone and sort of paying, playing faster than they're really able to. Mm-hmm. But Duke was able to take advantage of that, not just from Jones, but, but Reddish and then, and RJ Barrett as well. And they had a couple of times where, you know, they would force a bad shot on us. We they'd miss it or we'd miss it. And then they would just take the rebound and throw it out of bounds, essentially right. and get the ball back. Or they would just take the ball and just throw it. And all of a sudden, cameras like, oh, well, thank you. I will take this. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one other thing from the Miami game that we want to give to you folks out there. You're going to really enjoy this. As we mentioned, I was on press row. And after the game, when you're a member of the press, you get to go in the Duke locker room. I got to talk to some of the players. I, I will I will describe for you, first of all, 
I, I want people to understand what the Duke locker room was like after the game because it was truly an incredible sight. There, there are a lot of reporters. I mean, Duke gets covered in a way no other team gets covered. And they absolutely descended and surrounded Jack White. It was it was hysterical. What was Jack White's face like? I, I couldn't even see him. <laughs> there were so many cameras, so many reporters surrounding him. He was the big story. There were a lot of folks around R.J. Barrett as well. Cam Reddish had a huge crowd around him. So I couldn't really get to any of those guys because I wanted to have more than – I didn't want just want to throw in one question. I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation with the guys. So I was able to have a nice conversation with Alex O'Connell, who I mentioned had a great first half and really brought a lot of energy to the team. I talked to Joey Baker. We got to talk a little bit about his red shirt being busted and how excited he is about that. And then I was talking to Justin Robinson. And you'll notice something weird happens at the end of the Justin Robinson interview. I'll explain that after we're done listening to it. But have a listen. Here is Jason Evans in the Duke locker room. Alex. Hey, Jason Evans, Duke Basketball Report. Wanted to compliment you. Great game. Uh, tell us, t- the beginning of the game, it felt like you brought a lot of energy to the team. Do you feel like that's a role for you now that Zion's not around? Yeah, I mean, I was just I was feeling confident from the rib. You know, I've started two games before this, and, you know, I felt like I was bringing – I tried to bring energy from the jump, especially with Zion not being in, you know, who's such a key guy to our team. You know, I was just trying to make sure that I brought energy, and I felt like I did that today for a, a full 40 minutes. Uh, so – Talk about, did the guys say anything about Jack White finally hitting a three-pointer? Do you guys think about that stuff? I mean, uh, the media and the fans do. No, I mean, we knew. I like I said, I, I think I, somebody asked me yesterday. I knew Jack was going to hit some today. and he, he had his head high the whole time, and, you know, we were just we were excited for him to hit. You know, he hit three tonight, so I think that'll be easily uh, get him back into his rhythm, which is a good thing for us. Uh, talk about, uh, do you... Do you feel like you're going to have a big role even once Zion comes back? I mean, feel like you've earned it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're all excited. We want Zion to come back immediately, and so I mean, when he comes back, it just shows that we're going to be a stronger team. And you know, I'm excited. To, you know, whether it doesn't matter what my position is when he comes back, I'm, I'm ready to step up and, and bring energy like I have been doing. Great job! Congrats, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So uh, I'm here with Joey Baker. Uh, first of all. Uh, it, you, you lost the red shirt, but you don't mind that one bit. Uh, how excited were you when Coach K said, we want to start playing you? Um, I mean, as a competitor, just being able to get back out there and play is obviously exciting. So uh, I've been working all year just trying to get better and stay ready. So when it, when it happened, I was excited. What do you think you showed in practice that specifically led the coaches to say, hey, it, it, it's time for this guy. He's ready. Um, I'm not sure. I just... A little bit of everything. I try and play as hard as I can and just affect the game and try and win. I mean, that's that's why we play. So just doing things to win. Uh, talk about – everyone's going to ask you about Jack White, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How much had he been feeling the pressure of – I mean, he's a great shooter. You guys see it in practice all the time. Yeah. What, what, what was it like for him in – for this to happen in games, and how much of a relief was it for it to finally be done? I mean, I'm so happy for him because you see the work that he puts in, and um, just over the past couple weeks, he's just been after practice, before practice, just getting it up. So for it for him to finally break through today, it's a, I know he's feeling great right now. I'm just happy for him. Uh, now, uh, your your role, you know, it, it, it's clear that you're you're contributing and getting in games with Zion out. Do you, what what do you think your role can be once once he comes back? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm willing to do anything. Just 
as long as we're winning. <laughs> Good answer. That's the right answer. How, how far are you guys going to go this year? <laughs> Silly question, right? Hopefully all the way. Hopefully all the way. That's our goal. That's what we've been working for all year. So, and It's great to be a player and really get to be a, a part of it outside of practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've told a lot of people, this is, I feel like this is a really special group. I mean, it's my first, my first college team, but um, just the chemistry that we have on and off the court, everybody gets along, and it's, just, it's been great. Congrats, man. Thank you so much. All right, so I'm here with Justin Robinson. Uh, so, oh, we're, we're going over the side, no problem. Getting get in people's way, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, uh, talk to me, guys on the bench, you guys saw Jack White finally knock one down. What did it feel like? Um, I mean, great. It's, we're super happy for him. We want everybody to be their best, and like we know how good of a shooter he is, so it just feels good to like see him, I guess, hit those shots in the game because we still see it in practice every day. We see how good he is, and we know. Uh, what is, uh, has the team changed anything, do you think, with Zion out? Are you guys trying to do things at all differently, or, or is it exactly the same? Um, I mean, obviously, while he's out, it's different. I mean, he's such a big impact on the game. But uh, people are just stepping up more. It's not like we're changing our philosophy. We still want to get out and run, play hard defense, contest. But, yeah, just we're asking people to step up more, and I think they are. So you have to play against him in practice. You've been at Duke for a while now. Talk about how he's different than other guys that you have to guard. You know? He's a force. He's so big and strong, and then at the same time, he's so quick, and he moves so well, like so fluidly. It's, it's tough to guard him. There's nothing you can really do. You take something away, he's going to spin back and then go dunk on you. So he's tough. He's really tough. So you've been here for a while. Um, does it feel like maybe this team's different from the past couple years or in terms of expectations and excitement for the postseason? Um, just in general, yes. Yeah, this team is very different. We get along differently. <laughs> we get along differently. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell everybody. So RJ had something on his face and, and Justin didn't tell him and so RJ's pissed off about that. Is that what it is? Yes, that's exactly what it is. We're not, you're not a good now. friend for that. You look great I gotta wrap it up, sorry. Thanks guys. All right, so I wanna to explain to everyone what was going on there at the very end. First of all, I had overstayed my welcome. <laughs> You're only allowed to be in the locker room for a certain amount of time. Who's shocked about this? <laughs> <laughs> No shock here. Yeah. So you're only allowed to be in the locker room for about 10 minutes or so. And uh, the, the Duke Sports Information Director, who's a very, very nice man, Mike DeGeorge. We hey, love Mike. You. Thanks, Mike. So Mike, Mike tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, Jason, you got to go, man. You got to leave. And I looked around and I realized every other reporter had left the locker room. I was the only one still in there. So again, sorry, Mike. But, but what was going on there was, like I said, uh, so RJ had done three or four interviews. There were reporters all around him. And he had, I don't know what it was, but it was toilet paper. I don't know. He had a little bit of white something on his face. And, and at one point, <laughs> Justin Robinson, whose locker is right next to RJ, Justin goes, goes, hey, RJ, man, you got a little something on your face. And RJ cleared it up. And, and RJ looks at him and he goes, goes, was that on there for a while? And Justin goes, yeah, I noticed it earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt anybody. And, and RJ was like, dude, you can't, I had stuff on my face. You can't just let me be on TV with stuff on my face. Now, they were kidding. They were joking around. So when I was interviewing Justin, 
RJ came out and he goes, he goes, shut up, Admiral. I guess they called Justin Admiral. After- I, I, I believe it's Baby Admiral. Admiral. Oh, baby Admiral. They call him Baby Admiral. Baby okay. Admiral. He was like, shut up, Baby Admiral. And uh, and they were jawing each other. They were laughing, having a good time. I'll tell you the thing I take away from it is these guys are so tight knit. Uh, they they really they love each other. I mean, we hear about that a lot when we hear them talking about it. But but I saw it in the locker room. It's it's genuinely there. Um, and, you know, the other thing we hear about is Justin Robinson is a real leader on this team. He is not officially a captain, but I have a feeling, I'll, I'll tell you just from what I've observed, I think Justin Robinson is an unofficial captain on this team. What would you guys like? What did you hear there? Yeah, I mean, you, you see, you've seen that in years past where you have a guy who doesn't have that title next to his name, captain, but he, for all intents and purposes, is. And I think Justin Robinson is that. I, I do notice, you know, uh, with O'Connell, you have a lot of, confidence you have a lot of swag dripping out of that dude when he is talking about how he is ready and how when zion comes back they want him to come back immediately uh, i think I, I think everyone wants him to come back immediately but when you see that it, it sounds like for a lot of years we talk about when you have a big injury uh, or, or injury to a big player you talk about how the team changes their flow a little bit and how you have to really get back into that it sounds like that learning curve is going to be very, very little when it comes to this team when Zion comes back. Sure, you know, replacing, you know, the best player in the country is 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 a big deal, but it sounds like these guys are ready to have him back and that it won't be long before they are clicking on all cylinders once again. So I, I did notice that especially. And Joey Baker just, you know, he he he, he one of my favorite lines is uh if you <laughs> if you stay ready, you ain't gotta get ready. Right. And he has stayed ready this entire season. Right. So that is something that you really like from a player where you're like, hey, you you may not be playing, but keep, 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 keep playing, keep, keep biding your time. And soon enough is going to happen. He knew that his time would come. And it sounds like he's ready to make the most of it. Yeah. I think that the confidence and patience of all those various bench warmers is, is a, is a key factor here. You know, we, um, like we heard from O'Connell, we heard from Joey Baker, who, has only just started playing this year about how they're locked in, they're ready to go. And we saw it tonight from those guys and we'll continue to see it the rest of the season. They're not, they're not, uh, you know, getting starstruck or getting, or getting overtaken by the moment. They're ready to play. And good on you, Jason, for actually giving Joey Baker, because we don't really know much about him. You know, we've, right, we've heard right. so much from I, all the I other guys. That's the first season. time we've heard of him. This first, yeah. like, I'm sure people are probably like, that's how, that's how he sounds. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, but that's, I mean, that's sort of the thing is, you know, when you, it's good that you are strategic in getting some of these guys because when it comes to, uh, you know, whatever RJ says, whatever Zion says, whatever, you know, Jack White says today, we're going to see that in Sports Center most likely. Uh, but when it comes to like Joey Baker, we want to get to know some of these guys. And I think getting him on there was really good because I'm sure for, you know, for, for there's some people who are experiencing what he has to say for the first time. And I think that also really endears, you know, fans to these guys. The DBR podcast is brought to you by GTHC, GTH.com. That stands for, as you very well know, Go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. And GTHCGTH.com is your go-to spot for getting gear that has those letters written across the front. And the great thing about that is people see that, they ask you, what does that mean? And you get to say, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. And by the way, they've, they've added all kinds of new items to the site lately. They've, they've got women's tees now, um, tons of stuff that you can get with the GTHCGTH 
letters on the on your apparel. And it's worth noting, you should remember that all the way through the next Carolina game, through next week, if you go online and order and use the code DBR, use DBR as your code and you'll get 20% off your first order. Please check them out. And we want to once again thank GTHGGTH.com for being a sponsor of the DBR podcast. Guys, it is not going to be fun, but we have to talk about another game this week. Earlier this week on Tuesday, the Zion Lest, the Zion Less Duke Blue Devils played Virginia Tech. We were, it was at Virginia Tech, and the Devils lost 77 to 72. Uh, RJ Barrett was sick during the first half, had to repeatedly go to the locker room. I don't want to describe what happened in there, but I think we can all imagine. Um, and uh, Duke just, it, it, it seemed like they, they couldn't get it done on the defensive end, especially. Kerry Blackshear had a huge, huge game for Virginia Tech. Um, do either of you, I, I frankly don't want to talk about the game, <laughs> but we need to. Who would like to? Sam? has volunteered. Sam, tell us something about this dispiriting loss. I think that you touched on it correctly, that Virginia Tech was was sort of unconscious on offense. A lot of guys, Blackshear especially, but a lot of guys on their team just were confident and ready to go. I think that we've learned over the last few years that going into Blacksburg is never easy. Um, Virginia Tech is going to play Duke tough. They've beaten, they've beaten Duke now, I think, like three of the last six or seven years. The last three times we've played them. That we've yeah, played in Blacksburg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we know it's a tough place to play. We said in the preview that, that it was going to be hard. It was obviously a game that Duke wanted to win to kind of remain in the driver's seat as far as looking ahead at tournament seedings and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's not actually the, the, the biggest of a loss. Um, Duke unlikely now to, to win the ACC regular season because Virginia is sitting there with, with only two losses and, and it's unlikely to lose another. But um, that being said, I, I think a good lesson for Duke, the, the Miami game, the, the, the beatdown that Duke put on Miami would not have happened if they hadn't gotten knocked back a little bit against Virginia Tech, uh, especially knowing how much harder they were going to have to work on defense to, to contain. Um, that, that was kind of my big takeaway from the Virginia Tech game. And hopefully Duke uses it as learning opportunity. They, they, you know, shuffling a loss in in mid to late February is not a thing that kills a team. Um, you just hope that they bounce back from it, and we saw that against Miami. I didn't like this game, um, <laughs> quite, quite frankly. Wait, yeah. I, breaking news: breaking Donald news. didn't like this. I game. didn't like this game. It was a trap game. Hey, we're about to play Virginia. We're about to play UNC. We're about to play Miami. We're about, at home. To, we're about to play Miami at home. This is a trap game when it comes to national. And the national invocations I'm talking about is seeding for the NCAA tournament. Most importantly, where we play in the NCAA tournament. And I think this was a trap game in the sense that we want to play in, if if we're being frank here, we want to play in the East. We want to be, the number of overall seed, yes, probably matters. But really what matters is we want to play in D.C. That's the closest thing. That's our base you uh, especially want me us to especially play <laughs> I, hey hey I, I'll, I'll be there i work we, i work a block there. away from this place so just saying there we want to play there and when it comes to Vatek, like let's said it we've lost there the last three times we played there this is their super bowl this is the game that where they establish they say this is a program defining game and when we're talking about one of the best seasons they've had in a long time if not ever 
this is the cherry on top for them. And this is the thing that they say, hey, not only are we safely in this tournament this year, but damn it, we're consider, playing for seed. We're playing consider for a high us seed. for one of the high seeds. We'll yeah. go, not, maybe not a two, but at least a three or a if, four. If things break well for Virginia Tech, a they two is two. not out of the question. Exactly. If they go far, maybe get to the final of the of the ACC tournament, yeah, they're looking at a two. And But this game is going to be what puts them over the top. It's not going to be what they do in the ACC tournament. They would be set up to do something in the ACC tournament because of this game. And I think that's why it's a trap game for us, or it was a trap game. Um, and also, I mean, we were the only team in the country that was undefeated on the road. This was set up for failure, and and, and we yeah. we played. We didn't play well. They played out of their minds, uh, and that's really why we're looking here. We're saying, what do we do? I mean, what happens? You know, tomorrow when the rankings come out. Yeah. Well, you guys know I love to look at box scores. the the one The one thing uh, it's two things, but they're tangential to each other. It stood out from the box. We had one steal. Duke is like the leading steal team in the country. We average over 10 a game. We th- yes, we thrive on taking the ball away and getting easy transition points. One steal. Virginia Tech had a total of six turnovers. Duke routinely gets six turnovers against a team in half of a half. Mm-hmm. It is not uncommon. I mean, if you get only six turnovers in a half against Duke, you're thrilled. That's a great half. So, so think about it like this. We had one steal. In that game, we had two steals in Syracuse. Yeah. So in the course of 80 minutes, we had as many steals as we had in 14 seconds tonight. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, and, and the, the thing that it shows you is everyone talks about Zion Williamson and his offense. He's unguardable, his rebounding, things like that. I, I think you saw a little bit of the impact of Zion Williamson's defense that, uh, you know, his ability to make teams think differently about how they're going to play because of his shot blocking, his quickness, his ability to get steals um, in the Syracuse game and the Virginia Tech game. When we didn't have him, we were not able to turn teams over. I am thrilled that that changed when we played Miami. It shows me this team is learning and growing, and I'm really excited for when we get Zion back. So the one thing about Zion's defense that I think really was showed against Virginia Tech is the scare factor. When Zion's on the court, it does not matter where on the court he is. Exactly. It's footsteps. Yeah. It's, it's mere footsteps. Like we've seen him be 15 feet away from a guy shooting a three pointer and block it six rows into the stands for Virginia tech. They didn't, they weren't scared. They weren't scared. I mean, a lot of teams, yeah, they're not scared of Duke. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to play scared, but a lot of teams actually do when Zion steps on the court, because they know just like JJ had get off the bus range when it comes to his three point shot, Zion has off the bus range when it comes to his defense. And when he's not on the court, you don't have to be scared anymore. I think against Miami, Miami wasn't scared, but the guys learned that it doesn't have to be Zion that provides the scare factor. It can be other guys that can contribute to that. But against Virginia Tech, we didn't have that. And when we don't have a guy that can literally close out in you know 0.3 seconds on a guy that's shooting a three-pointer, they're going to keep shooting him. And when they make them, that's what happens. Well said. Very well said. This edition of the DBR podcast is also brought to you by our favorite Duke lawyers out there. Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, Bird Campbell Law Firm, offices in Florida and Texas. They are two wonderful former Duke roommates who love the podcast. And they've been supporting us for a while. Guys, thank you very much. And if you are out there and you need any legal advice, 
please reach out to them at birdcampbell.com, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Guys, we've got a couple games coming up this week against teams we have already played. We have Wake Forest. We have UNC. Of course, we have the question of whether or not Zion Williamson will be back for one of those games, both of those games, who knows what. Um, I'm no longer going to try and read tea leaves. I'm no longer going to try and predict anything. I'm just hoping he comes back soon. (laughs) Even though we played very nicely against Miami, I would really like to see Zion Williamson play for Duke again as soon as possible. So, gentlemen, I... I'm going to ask a favor. I don't think we really need to talk. Do we need to talk about Wake Forest? We don't need to talk about Wake Forest. We're playing them at home. I, I, will, I will say this about Wake Forest. Don't make it a trap. I mean, it's the last game in Cameron of the season. Let's go out on a high note, you know, for, for our upperclassmen and some of our freshmen, it could be the last time we see them play. And it, some of our freshmen, some <laughs> all of our freshmen. Perhaps. Joey Baker's probably Joey Baker. Might yes, yes, there you yes. go. <laughs> um, but I mean, when it, when it comes to that, we want to go out on a high note, you know, we, we, we had a great win today. Keep that momentum going. And if a guy that's number one in our hearts and number one in the scorebooks does show up, it'll be a good chance to get kind of that routine back before we face Carolina. It's actually, I think, a perfect opponent for Duke to be facing. It, whether or not Zion's back. If Zion's back and he only plays a little bit, fine. Um, reintegration is probably not going to be too hard because everybody likes playing with him. It's not like it's not like you're. It's not that people didn't like playing with Kyrie Irving. But Kyrie Irving sort of set the tone in a in a very specific way for that 2011 to to get him back on the court, and, and they had and, to change their offense completely. Yes. Everybody, yeah. Zion's really a you know as much as he's as he's a leader on on both ends of the floor, he's also very complementary to a lot of things that other guys are doing. So this should be not such a terrible uh, game to get him back if if he is coming back against Wake Forest. If he's coming back against Carolina, obviously a stiffer challenge. We know that the Tar Heels have sort of come on strong here at the end of the season. And uh, they, they eked out the win today against Clemson. So um, nothing specific, I think, in the Wake Forest game. Just just manage it. We know that Duke's a lot better than Wake Forest, regardless of Zion Williamson's presence. So that, that takes us to Carolina. And, and guys, here's the question I'm going to put to you. Donald, be ready. I'm going to go to you first. What needs to happen differently for Duke to be successful at Carolina? Let's be real clear. Even if you have Zion Williamson, even if Duke's at full strength plan as well as they can, a game at Carolina is never a gimme. So I'm going to start with this. and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to nod your heads in agreement. Do not allow 62 damn points in the paint. Oh, my God. Thank you. If we allow 20, that's fine. But 62? Come on now. Like, they, that is the key, right? Like, they, again, the scare factor. They weren't scared of going in the paint. They weren't scared of going right at us because they do. If they missed, they get the rebound and put it right back. They let us in second chance points. They let us in fast break points. They let us in points uh, off of turnovers. They let us in points in the paint. Those are all our bread and butters. We flipped even two of those categories around. We beat UNC at home. Now against the road, that is a really big deal that they have to do. And they really have to focus on that because again, UNC is just going to sit there and say, this is what we did to beat them by 16 in Cameron. Let's just do that again. If we can turn all those around, even one or two of those categories, it's a much better ballgame. I think that the the key is is turning around the rebounding margin. Duke let Carolina crush them on the boards in the first game. And and Zion or Bolden or Barrett, whoever it is who's gonna sort of take the lead on on the 
on the rebounding, that's going to be, I think, the key because you don't want Luke May and Cam Johnson and the rest of those guys to be to be eating your lunch on the boards. And that, that's where Duke was losing. They were great on the perimeter, guarding, you know, Trey Jones locking up Kobe White in the first game, did an unbelievable job. Um, now it's about containing the guys in the middle. Bolden and, and RJ both having 10 boards tonight uh, is a big deal, especially against Miami, which is a bigger one of the bigger teams in the ACC. And also the fact that they were going after boards. And Sam and I commented, you know, there was a point where when uh, Bolden got his 10th board, he got it over RJ, who was also fighting for his 10th board. He eventually got it later, but that's the type of rebounding that we need to see. So one quick thing I want to do before we get to our usual parting shots, player of the week, and that kind of jazz. I want to talk, we are in the final week of the regular season for the ACC. And teams have either one or two games left. Almost everyone has two games left. Um, guys, let's talk a little bit about where things are shaping up in terms of ACC teams for seeding and the such and for making the tournament in general. I, it, it, tell me if you guys agree. I feel like we've got seven locks right now or as close to locks as you can get. And then there's NC State and Clemson who are who are on the bubble a little bit. And, um, I, you know, what, what do you guys think those teams need to do to, to, to get there? I think that the, the tough thing for them is that the bottom of the ACC is really not strong. Um, we, we obviously love to hype up Pittsburgh because we like Jeff Cable. Um, Pittsburgh has totally fallen apart this season. Wake Forest is almost certainly firing Danny Manning at some point in the next few days. Uh, Notre Dame. Actually, no, no. I, I think Wake Forest is not. Danny Manning, they gave him a like seven year or five year extension. Perhaps, or perhaps then Wake Forest is going to be regretting giving away an extension and wishing they were getting it to fire Danny Manning. Yes. Um, but Notre Dame is, is obviously not having a great season following the departure of Bonzi Colson. Um, so the bottom of the ACC, hard to get any credit for, for those Clemsons and NC States kind of at the beginning of the ACC tournament. Either of those teams makes it to the ACC semis. And uh, they can they can definitely lock up their spots. They're not that far away at this point. I agree with you though, Jason. Those those top seven, you know, it's kind of the the big three from Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina, all in contention for one seed still at this point. Then that next tier down, you've got um, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Louisville. They're all I think you would say they're pretty comfortably in, um, but also still jockeying for position. They all want to get that that last. Um, double buy in the ACC tournament, and they would definitely all prefer to get two, three, four, five seeds in the NCAA tournament rather than you know falling down their seed line a little bit. Um, so definitely a lot of jockeying that's still going on, and some of those teams are still playing this week. So for NC State, I think the the main issue that the committee probably wants to see is can they score? I mean, and, and yes, we're we're going back to that twenty four point game, but that is a black mark on their record, and you see against some teams that they just don't have the capacity to score a lot of points, in, especially in the first half and down the stretch in the second half. Those are big issues. And for Clemson, they wilt under pressure. We've seen it against big teams. They get out and they have a chance to win or have a chance to have in their grasp, and they wilt under pressure. We saw it tonight against UNC. They had a couple of chances to really you know, take the lead and, and put it to uh, UNC, and they let them back in the game, and then UNC ended up you know, winning the ballgame. But with Clemson, they can't let that happen because if they're going to have a resume that shows that they are one of the best 68 teams in this in this country, they're going to have to show that they can beat those big teams on a neutral court when it matters. Uh, so I think NC State is in pretty good shape. They've got two games this week. 
that they should win. They're playing Georgia Tech at home and Boston College on the road. Look, it's a simple reality for, for NC State. You win those two games, you're 10 and 8, and you're going to the dance. You lose either one of those games, you're 9 and 9, and those are bad losses. You're, you're, Sam, you're right. Their teams at the bottom are not good, and State's playing two teams at the bottom. They cannot afford to lose either one of those games. Clemson's got a tougher road because Clemson's got Notre Dame on the road and then Syracuse at home. But those, again, are two games they should be favored in. And if you're Clemson, go out, win those two games, and I think you probably don't need to worry too much about the ACC tournament. You know, Make sure you don't do something silly and lose to Pitt or someone like that in the first round. But aside from that, I, I like those two teams' chances of getting in. Guys, I, I, I want to really quick talk about a little bit of what's at the top. Um, there are a lot of ACC teams vying for really, really high seeds. Uh, certainly, I think most people think Duke, most people think Virginia has locked themselves into a number one. I can't really see a scenario. Yeah, you can say to me, oh, wait, Virginia loses both their games this week and then they lose early in the ACC tournament. Yes, you're right. They would not be a number one seed if that happens. That's not going to happen. It's not happening. They've not only happen. lost to Duke this season. Exactly. I mean, Virginia's a great and They're team. not playing us this week. So. Right. <laughs> um, most people feel like, at least I feel like, if Zion comes back and Duke looks like the Duke that we were with Zion, you can put aside the two losses that we suffered without him. You put aside this, the, the, the Carolina game, you put aside the Virginia Tech game, it's clear that Duke's a different team without him, um, e even though we're still a very, very good team. I think Duke's a lock for number one. But is there a crazy scenario? Uh, North Carolina's playing really, really well right now. Uh, uh, Carolina's at least a two. I think it's not impossible. I mean, maybe something weird happens. Carolina manages to win the ACC tournament. I think there's a there's sort of a needle you have to thread here because, yeah, Duke is it feels very comfortable right now. But if Zion Williamson doesn't come back and if it doesn't look like he's coming back and Duke drops both the UNC game and a game earlier in the ACC tournament, maybe that number one seed isn't up for grabs anymore. But in that scenario, UNC does get those wins. It, yeah. So, right. it, 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 you know, it's a zero-sum game. Um, in terms I, of number one seeds, I think he's getting two. I yeah. think we've only had, I think we've only had one year in the modern era where one conference got three number one seeds, which was that Big East year yes. a few years ago. Georgetown, uh, St. John's, and who was it? Was Syracuse the third? Oh, that was that, that. That no, I'm thinking about a more recent year when it was like Connecticut and Villanova. Yeah, as you count like Villanova. Oh, I was going um, back to there was a time because no, there was a year that. Biggie sent three teams to the final maybe four. They, maybe they well, – Yeah, but they yeah. weren't one seed. They weren't yeah. one seed. No, You're I'm, right. talking about, right. I'm talking about it all being one seed. It, mm. It's just hard to do because you have to you have to all develop those kinds of resumes. And, like, Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina likely facing each other again. Duke and North Carolina, of course, at least once. And then likely again in the AC, late in the ACC tournament. So, um, unlikely, I'd say, that, that all three of them end up with number one seeds. But two number one seeds and a two – is more likely than only one number one and two twos at this point for the ACC. Now, the interesting thing is that looking ahead at the tournament, um, you've also got a very competitive SEC with, with Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, and LSU. And, and LSU. LSU. But, but Kentucky and Tennessee really being in contention potentially for number one seeds. They want to get that, that South Regional. Um, Gonzaga's out there on the West Coast, but someone's going to have to go out. Someone's going to be the West Coast number two seed and is going to have to go play Gonzaga out on the West Coast. So, um, and I think whichever of Virginia, Duke, and UNC is a number two, um, and, and I can I can kind of construct a scenario where the ACC gets three number ones. I think it's so unlikely it's not worth constructing. 
Um, and, and it requires someone like an Auburn perhaps to win the SEC. Not that that's impossible, but you know, like I said, I can construct the scenario, but I'm not going to get into it here. But I think whoever among the ACC is a number two, that team's going out west. So possible, I, unless they go to the unless they go to the Midwest. Uh, Midwest certainly is still with, possible. with Kentucky, but yeah. but I feel like I no Kentucky. Well, Kentucky can end up in the South, right? Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're yeah, just yeah, all these things around. Yeah. We still have a couple of Big Ten teams that are that are fine. Uh, Although I don't think any of the Big Tens. I really think the the number one seeds are going to be Gonzaga, two ACC teams, one of them almost certainly Virginia, and one SEC team, and probably one SEC team. Mm. I'm not seeing. I mean. Michigan lost today to Indiana. I'm not, or is it Michigan, Michigan State. State? Michigan State, but Michigan's been losing games lately. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not seeing anyone else to me that's really in the contention for a number one seed so, other than that SEC winner. So the really interesting thing about the rankings when they came out with those initial rankings a couple weeks ago, and they mentioned us as the number one overall seed, they said it was just slightly that we got the East over Tennessee. Right. So most people would think that Tennessee would want to go to Louisville, but it sounds like to the committee that their preference is to be in the East Regional. Now, what does that mean? That means that you have Virginia, Duke, and Tennessee vying for not just the D.C. uh, Sweet 16, but also that Columbia, South Carolina first and second round. So it's three teams. And then you also have now UNC who's saying, hey, we got chips, we got beer, we want to be in the party too. And if they can, you know, show that they belong, you have four teams vying for that road to the final four going through Columbia in DC. It's truly crazy. It's going to be a very exciting final few days. I can't wait to see it all play out. And I hope it plays out with Zion Williamson suited up for Duke and performing the way we know we can play. All right, gentlemen, so it's time for player of the week. Um, uh, I will put it to you for Sam. Who are you picking? Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. I think there were a, a number of guys against UNC who were or not against UNC against Miami who were important here. Obviously, the Miami game being the, the lone win that we're assessing in this player of the week assessment. Um, I'm going to give it to Jack White. I, you know, he, he's obviously had a he's had a, he's had a tough stretch. I think that obviously Alex O'Connell played with his hair on fire tonight. Uh, Marquise Bolden had a really strong night. RJ Barrett, all these guys were worthy. Um, but it's great to see Jack White break out of that slump and and not let the moment overwhelm him. I think that it, it speaks a lot to uh, how composed he is and, and how much of a leader is he on, he is on this team that he didn't let it become a thing about him. Um, the team was making threes and that was good enough for, for Jack White. I like it. Donald. I'm going to Marquise Bolden. I, I liked how he played tonight. I mean, he was one of the, the bright spots against uh, uh, Virginia tech in the sense that he has become the guy, the confident guy that we, wanted him to be all season long and, and he's really coming to his own when it comes to uh the defense as well as the offense rebounding as well we've needed every one of his rebounds that he's gotten this season and he's there's rarely been a moment where we're like oh marquise is doing something that we really don't need him to do so marquise bolden especially this week he's my player of the week. Uh, so i'm taking rj barrett who had a fabulous week first of all huge guts courage on his part to come out of the locker room from what was not a pleasant situation, I'm sure. He played great in the second half against Virginia Tech. He was really the only offense we could bring in that game. And then today against Miami, there was a non-zero chance that R.J. Barrett put up another triple-double. Um, he had seven assists to go with his double-double in rebounds and points. R.J. Barrett had, I, I mean, he is playing so well. And I'll tell you something interesting. So on press row, I was seated right next to 
some folks from TSN, which is the big Canadians, essentially the Canadian ESPN. Mm -hmm. They were, they've been in town for several days doing an extensive feature on RJ Barrett. And the guy said to me, he's, he, we were talking a lot and he said, you know, basketball is really exploding in Canada. As you guys know, Steve Nash was at the game today. He is very close with the Barrett family. He's RJ's godfather or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this guy said, basketball is really exploding in Canada. And he's like, everyone in Canada wants to talk about RJ Barrett. We feel like this guy has the potential to perhaps be the best Canadian basketball player we've seen yet, which is pretty amazing when you consider how good Steve Nash was. And there's a bunch of guys in the NBA that will tell you that the best player in Canadian basketball is RJ Barrett. And, and they and have a and lot Jamal of Murray. Jamal, Jamal Murray, Murray is, is a very good NBA he's player. He's killing people right now. And he has gone on record saying, I'm not as good as RJ Barrett. And that is a telling sign that he is playing in Durham, North Carolina instead of in the NBA. He is going to be someone that people talk about for a long time. Yep. Hey, guys, we're going to move right into parting shots. And Don, I'm going to let you go first because we all want to talk about your parting shot. This is this is great. So I have the best parting shot ever because uh, we, we <laughs> found out tonight that we have fans. <laughs> Today, uh, after the game, as, as we mentioned last week, we all met up. Uh, because this is history. We have recorded a podcast for the first time ever together. And we actually saw each other together. We've been in, we, we've been in the same place at the same time. And at the J.B. Duke Hotel, uh, we met up with uh, some fans after the Miami game tonight. Uh, I, I just want to shout out a few people. I mean, some people came up to us and like, you know, with the shy, like, are you guys with the DBR podcast? And then some guys like, yo, I love you guys. You guys are great. Like we, we appreciated everybody who came out. We, we got to meet JK. Uh, I, I know, I know Jason, Jason has uh, talked with him over the years, but uh, it was good to finally meet JK. Uh, one of the longtime arbitrators of the board, uh, you know, Sith, Zach, and I'm on uh, three med students uh, who we met, who were just over the moon, excited to, to meet us, which I, I'm not quite sure why <laughs> still, <laughs> uh, but it was really fun. We, and, and I'm so sorry to forget this guy's name. Uh, but he plays alto sax. He's a senior in the Duke band. He came out after the game, after playing for 40 minutes, uh, uh, to come out and, and play uh, and meet us and, and take a couple pictures. And, and uh, hopefully we will see him down the road uh, in D.C. if we make it down to the Sweet 16. But uh, it was really good to see everybody, uh, to meet people who somehow decide that they like to take an hour out of their day every week. Uh, to listen to us talk about Duke basketball. It's really, really fun. Uh, so we appreciated everybody who came out. And for those who didn't, uh, uh, we also appreciate you too. So uh, hopefully we will do this, uh, probably not this year because we only have one game left in Cameron uh, this year, but uh, in the fall, uh, we will probably try and find another, once the schedule for next year comes out, try and find another time to get back down here so this we don't have to go another 150 episodes before <laughs> we're all in the same room again. I, I just wanted to add on to that that it was it was very cool meeting everybody tonight um seeing seeing folks at the bar and just kind of chatting with them and, and hearing about what they like about the show which is obviously very rewarding for us um but also just that it was very cool that the three of us were all here today yeah. uh and and getting to do kind this we've been we've been doing this online for four and a half years now um and never all been together so it was uh it, it, it's cool to have you guys recording a show together in my apartment and and we get to actually do a little bit better real time of producing the show because we actually get to see each other's reactions to what we're saying. I will say, I will say that if, if we make it to the sweet 16 and it happens in BDC, we don't have enough room in my apartment. 
I mean, to record together. So. <laughs> I, can, I can stay at my parents' Yeah, place. it'll basically be, we'll have to draw straws. Uh, one of you's got to go. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You two can stay and I'll leave. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was good to see everybody and it was good to get down here. Thank you for the ticket, by the way, Sam. Uh, and, and it was good to really, I mean, look, we've said it once, we I'll say it again. It, it perplexes me that we have fans. Uh, <laughs> it, it really does. Uh, we, we, but it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Like we are, we are three fans in ourselves. Like one guy said, how do you guys do this? And we're like, we're just fans too. We just figured out a way to talk about it in a way that other people actually enjoy. So uh, we are, we're glad you enjoy it. And we're glad for those people who are able to come out. We really thank you guys for coming. That, you know, that comment, Donald there at the end, that's, that's perfect. And the thing, the thing that I took away tonight from all the people who came out was how much they enjoy sharing their fandom through this podcast. And that's why they wanted to come chat with us. Like you say, we are just fans and, and we love that other fans appreciate our enthusiasm and our love of Duke basketball. It's never been so cool to be a Duke fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for the JB Duke for hosting us. I know you didn't know you were going to host us, <laughs> but we appreciate it anyway. Sam, it's your turn. What's your parting shot? Oh, I, I was really just kind of piling on with with uh, with Donald's whole point about how cool this weekend has been. Um, and that was sort of the extent of it. Um, just very glad that we got to do it. Uh, as Donald said, looking forward definitely to doing it again in the fall uh, around another game as yet to be determined. Uh, and I'll have, have my feet under me a little bit better than <laughs> in my second year at, at Fuqua than I did in my first year. So uh, it's, all, uh, it's all up from here. So thanks to everybody for for being along on this ride with us. So I actually have a separate parting shot that I just wanted to shout out. I'm not sure if you guys heard about this story. What a great, great story. Uh, one of the top teams in Division II basketball, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, went on the road to play a basketball game against Idenboro. And when they showed up at the game, they realized that they left their jerseys back home. And so, Idenboro ended up playing Idenboro. They borrowed the jerseys of the team they were playing. I, I think that's absolutely hysterical. I found some photos online of, of Idenboro playing Idenboro and uh, it's just a, a really funny, amusing kind of story. Folks, go out there, check it out. Um, it's pretty funny. And by the way, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, one of the best teams in Division II, absolutely crushed Idenboro even though they're wearing the wrong jerseys when they did it. And it's just, uh, I, I think that's a cool story. So I've, I've seen this happen a couple times in soccer uh, where they show up, especially for friendlies, where they show up. And, and we're not talking like podunk teams. We're talking English Premier League teams that have shown up at friendlies and decided, oh, we need to borrow some of your equipment. <laughs> but also this reminds me of, flashback to D.C., uh, when Michigan won the Big Ten tournament a couple years ago, they did it in their practice uniforms because they had that plane crash. Oh yes, uh, yes, or the plane failed to take off. It skidded right. off the runway. It wasn't. It didn't take off and crash, ladies and gentlemen. But it did skid off the runway. But because of that, it was a uh, NTSB crime scene, and they all their actual jerseys were held up by the government. So they had to play in their practice jerseys for the whole tournament and end up winning the whole thing. So uh, hopefully, this will help this team progress in the tournament or, or you know going forward. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird thing when you walk in. It's like who's playing who. But by the way, a few years ago, this happened to Virginia Tech when they were playing Georgia Tech in football and Virginia Tech ended up wearing the Georgia Tech jerseys. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mike Glennon was Virginia Tech quarterback and he wrote in marker on the back of his jersey, he wrote Glennon on the back of his jersey in, in Sharpie. <laughs> so uh, it can happen to anybody and it happened to Indiana University, Pennsylvania this past week.
How many Indiana universities are there on this planet? I, I don't know, but there's there's one in Indiana there's and there's one in one Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. More, than, <laughs> more than we realized we needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up here on episode 151 of the DBR podcast. A very, very special episode because Donald and Sam are standing right next to me. Um, and this has been a ton of fun. I'm your host, Jason Evans. Thanks so much again to our to our podcast sponsors, Bird Campbell and GTHCGTH.com. We will be back next week after we play those bastards from Carolina. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Duke Band, play us on out. <laughs>